The economy is getting back underway, and with it, the world of pro sports. Now, we are just under a week away from football to be getting back to action on a grand scale. Of course, basketball playoffs are still going on, hockey playoffs still going on, baseball still in throes of their regular season. So stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. I'm, of course, talking about Bloomberg.com. So right now, you can go and subscribe to Bloomberg.com. And if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, for a limited time, you can receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. All you have to do is go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. Again, if you subscribe to Bloomberg.com and are not already an athletic subscriber, for a limited time, you can receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Just go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Buffalo Beat here. We are now into the first game week of the NFL season. The Bills have their game against the New York Jets coming up in under a week. And now we know the final 53-man roster, or at least the initial 53-man roster, just because you know they're going to continue to have some guys visit. There was a report out there that Lamar Miller might be visiting, which could put someone like TJ Yeldon in jeopardy. But we do know the the nuts and bolts of what happened. So the Bills, they went through, they they did the whole IR and and uh, cut of some some veteran players. They did, they did the same thing as they did with Kurt Coleman last year. And this year they, they utilized it with Andre Roberts and Dean Marlowe. So it was essentially a way for them to keep 55 players on their active roster by only keeping 53 originally and furthermore when you go and look at the the all the practice squad players they wound up with in total 74 of their 81 players that they had a couple of days before before cut down day so uh the bills weren't uh, really interested in doing away with with a lot of their own but matthew fairburn on the line with me as always and of course, uh, you can read all our stuff over at The Athletic, including about the cutdown day. But Matthew, what was the biggest thing that stood out to you on, on cutdown day and uh, and what the Bills had going on with their final 55-man roster, we'll call it? Yeah, I think you look at two names we were watching heading into the weekend, both surviving, Trent Murphy and Jake Fromm. And uh, yeah. I, I think for different reasons, they were interesting cases to follow. And... Trent Murphy, you know, Brandon Bean spoke today and said that, you know, a lot of, you know, some of the stuff that we talked about this offseason when we went back and forth on whether Trent Murphy would be on the team, I think I ended up leaving him off my final projection, but had him on the one before that. And it was just going back and forth. What I think what convinced me they might take him off the roster was what they did with Steven Hauschka. But each of these cases was a little bit unique with the you know, do you trust the guy that would get you, you know, maybe the better performance in 2020, or would you rather save some money? And I think Hauschka, that case was, yes, they saved money, but they also think they have a pretty good chance to get better performance, especially in some some areas like kickoffs and long field goals. With Murphy, 
yeah, they would have saved a lot of money, but they think they'll get significantly better performance out of him than they would the next step down. So, you know, there was a little bit, you know, trying to play the mind game of figuring out what their thought process would be, what they would value most. And like I think we said throughout most of the summer, Murphy is still a good player. And without the money element, you wouldn't even be asking the question, I don't think, about mm-hmm. whether he's on the team. And that's what it comes down to, um, you know, with that decision. The Fromm decision was a little bit, you know, that one I don't know that was entirely based on performance, frankly. Um, because if it were, I don't think he would be on the roster. I think that was a fear of losing him and be you know, wondering what he could be development wise. And when Brandon Bean spoke today, there were, and I think you would call them excuses made, right? Like this was an off season Mm -hmm. where he didn't have much time to develop. He didn't get a lot of reps and we didn't want to cut a guy that we never got to see play even in the preseason, you know, excuses made that you're probably not making at other positions or for guys that weren't drafted. Um, and so I, I think that decision is one that you look at the the idea that, you know, oh, everybody's got to compete and you strip away the draft position and everybody's got to, you know, earn every little bit. I don't know. I don't think he did, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think it shows you that they're not always going to make decisions strictly based on that stuff, that there's going to be the factors that are impossible to ignore right all right they spent a fifth round pick on this guy you do you just throw that away without seeing him play in a game or you know he didn't get a lot of reps or we want to see the long term you know there are other factors that go in other than strictly competition you know up and down the roster yeah um, I'll, I'll touch quickly on the Murphy thing before we we dive headfirst into from because I feel like that's the longer discussion um I think I think with Murphy, you're you're right that if it weren't for the money part of it, that he would absolutely be a, a fine enough player to keep as a rotational defensive end, and you go from there. But the but the trouble was, the money is a legitimate thing. This of course, year. the I cap mean, room—it's it, a lot of money. <laughs> yes, it's seven million over seven, <laughs> over seven million going over to next year's cap. After they had just uh, signed both Tredavious White and Dion Dawkins to an extension, which will inevitably raise the cap number for both of those guys next year. Um, maybe Tredavious not by a ton, but still with Dion, it, it raised it by quite a bit. So these are things that they have to take account of. And by by keeping him, it almost felt a bit like a luxury. Um, I wonder if this is maybe... A uh, some some sort of sign that maybe the Bills aren't as happy with what AJ Epinesa uh, has has done in training camp so far because he has been relatively quiet and you know I, I'm I, I would anticipate that he has some sort of role on Sunday against the Jets but not to a grand degree 
And if if he would have came in and knocked their socks off, I think this is probably a different discussion right now because that $7 million, we've talked about a bunch. I mean, you, you take that and you push it towards next year and all of a sudden you are more than half of the way there to get that Matt Milano extension on the books. And you're already three million, three plus million of the way there with with the whole um, Stephen Hauschka cut, and so that that would make up for ten right then and there. And and uh, and as of right now, um, without uh, as of right now, before the Tre'Davious White extension, I should say, um, they were looking at some cap room of about eleven point six million under the cap in 2021, which isn't enough to get the Milano deal done. That Murphy thing would have put them over the line. And now what they're going to have to do next year is probably look at cutting some veterans that they could save some money. Like guys like John Brown, who could they they could save over $8 million. Um, Vernon Butler, who they could save over $6 million. Quentin Jefferson, I believe, they can uh, save over five. They could save $2.5 million with Lee Smith. They could save $4 million with Quentin Spain. But, but again... I mean, just because they wanted to keep Trent Murphy around this year for one year and and quite possibly a rotational role, if he starts a few games, fine, whatever. Um, you're by doing so, you're you're cutting off uh, maybe a player or two next year just to get by. So I and it's very clear from from Brandon Bean that he wants Matt Milano for the long term. He made that uh, the way that they he said we we love him. We're going to see if if we can work something out. We would, we would like to. We would like him here for the long term. I mean, it, it, he would be a lot more uh, standoffish from that respect uh, if if he weren't uh, if he weren't totally invested in re-signing Matt Milano. But he he knows what he has in Milano. He knows he's one of the better coverage linebackers in the league. He pairs very well with Tremaine Edmonds, and they don't want to lose that guy for for the rest of his prime. So uh, I don't know. I. I, I I understand where they're coming from, that they want to go for it this year and they want to win the division, all of these different things. But I can't help but think either A, they're not super impressed with Epinesa, or B, um, this was a, a massive missed opportunity to potentially get the, the clearance for next year. Here's another thought I had, not necessarily specific to Trent Murphy, but more related to Tredavious White and his contract and the other contracts that we've seen handed out. And this maybe is a bit too optimistic of you, but it strikes me that you're seeing these deals, these big deals that, you know, it's not like Tredavious White took a a bargain really to stay yeah, in Buffalo. No. He got paid really well, uh, top of the market. And the top of the market isn't like, you know, significantly lower than we would have expected. It makes me wonder if NFL teams are optimistic that they won't necessarily hit that floor and the floor will be a little bit higher. Now, it's a little bit of a calculated gamble because you're not 100% sure. You know, Brandon Bean has said they're operating that it'll be that 175, uh, that low number. But it makes me wonder if they're, they're getting a little bit more, you know, I don't, a little bit ahead of themselves probably, but a little bit more confident that they'll generate enough revenue to be somewhere in the middle, probably not where they thought they would be um, with the high end number uh, of what the projected cap was before COVID. But even Brandon Bean today was talking about, you know, trying to get fans in the stands and something they're really interested in, something they're very hopeful about. We've seen 
a handful of NFL teams get fans in the stands. And so that's what struck me when, uh, and I touched on it a little bit when Sean McDermott was, um, you know, up in arms about the Dolphins having fans and the league not having right. a uniform f- policy. I think the reason the NFL did that is because they'll take revenue any way they can get it. And so if that revenue that comes from the Dolphins having 10,000 fans or, you know, let's say half the teams have that type of capacity, maybe that revenue spread out among teams raises the cap, you know, a few million or something. And then they find a few million elsewhere. And certainly if they play 16 games and get all the TV revenue, that would be the, the best help. And so yeah, sure. You can complain about the quote unquote competitive advantage that the Dolphins are going to have with all 13,000 of those rabid fans in a couple of weeks. Or you could look look at it, you know, from a zoomed out view and say, well, any fan in the building really helps everybody, really helps mm-hmm. the overall revenue. And 13,000 fans is not going to be much of a competitive advantage at all. Um, so, yeah, I think it made me wonder, not just Trey, but Deshaun Watson getting done. Um, there's been a few other deals that have gotten done, and they're not. You know, we wondered at the beginning of all this, is the market going to completely change? Is is Deion Dawkins going to have to take less money because all of a sudden the market is just different? Right. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be the case uh, around the league. Deshaun Watson got a huge contract. Trey White got a huge contract. Uh, Bosa got a big deal. There's been these deals that are just normal deals and you're probably not handing those out if you don't feel comfortable about the salary cap bouncing back uh, at some point or the salary cap maybe not taking the hit that everybody thought it would right i think the the one thing that the bills are working into their advantage here is especially with the Tredavious White deal, is the fact that they were able to spread out that money over six years. Now, it's not going to be like a, a perfect fit by any means, and, and it's not like they're they're getting a steal every single year. Tredavious White's cap figure is going to go up by quite a bit from, from this season. I think it was around the three, three and a half mark um, at, right now, but then when you add in the probable roster bonus that he's going to get and then the prorated signing bonus um over the the duration of his contract that's going to bump up his his figure for this year but uh on the flip side it could also help them for 2021 reduce a potential cap hit to be so much way higher than the 10 point i think it's two four million that he was already on the hook for um, with the fifth year option and that was already on their salary cap. So maybe there's a little bit of wiggle room there, but still you're affecting your rollover savings, all of those, all of those different avenues. However, I think, I think you're probably right here that, and, and it's funny when, um, as soon as, as soon as right before you were making the point, I, I'm, I'm getting my mind to go. Yeah. Well, that kind of means McDermott and Bean are way on opposite sides here on the whole fans in the stands thing, because I mean, if if Miami really wants to put 13,000 fans in the stands, Brandon Bean's probably like, well, as long as it's safe, do it. I'm game because that's going to bump up and, and bring in additional resources, everything along those lines, and potentially get them a bit higher up in, in the salary cap standing. Now, even if it is hitting the floor of 175.9, 
I still think they would be able to get a Milano deal done. But like I said before, it's probably going to have to be um, at the expense of a couple of guys. And John Brown is probably the, the biggest one for this. And this is a way down the line conversation. Of course, we still have to go through the 2020 season, but it's interesting right now. And it probably, we probably won't talk about it until, until next off season. But John Brown is, is a major thing here for this because he he'll be 31 next season. Gabriel Davis has very much looked uh, good in, in the summer. And uh, Brandon Bean was pretty, uh, complimentary of him saying that he should have a role but he's even though he's behind the the top three receivers should have a role both on offense and maybe even special teams um so it's it's not as though davis is going to go away and if he starts impressing in games that's going to make bean's decision pretty easy with someone like john brown because you know if they hits 175.9 that eight mil just automatically comes right off and then it's like oop there there you go there's milano um or maybe him and Lee Smith or something, but they'll have options. It's just a matter of them going to have to sacrifice some of this depth that they've built up. Uh, so, uh, like I said, it's not the not the worst thing in the world. They'll they'll be able to get things done. They're not. They're just not going to have their cake and eat it too next year. Um, and that's a, a big part of that is because they they kept Trent Murphy around. But you know, that's it's he's he's in. He'll be a part of the rotation. And now we just have to see if he'll actually live up to that contract for once because he hasn't in the first couple of years. And um, now, now it's now it's on them to and on him to prove their decision right for this season. Yeah, they're very much in a spot where the window is not closing after this year, but the window will not be as wide open as it is this year. Mm-hmm. You set yourself yep. up when you draft a quarterback year four you get those first four, you know, five-ish years while they're on the rookie contract. And that is that is the time when the window is as open as you're going to have it be. And like you said, you're going to have to make some sacrifices elsewhere when you try to keep everybody. And that's where mm-hmm. drafting well saves you a little bit. You know, you, you can cut John Brown because you have Gabriel Davis. Uh, and you feel like, all right, Gabriel Davis maybe won't be quite John Brown next year, but he'll be close enough. And he might be better. Who knows? I mean, um, that type of stuff happens in the league, you know. Uh, and But you do have to, you know, cut some corners and, and trim some spots on the roster. Maybe the defensive line isn't quite as deep uh, unless you hit on some draft picks. Uh, John Feliciano's deal is up. So, you know, you got to be ready to – plug some holes on the offensive line. There's mm-hmm. a lot that, you know, you, you all of a sudden have to, you know, pick your battles. It's either all that or it's Matt Milano walks out the door, which could be, a you know, it would be a big loss, but it wouldn't be as big a loss if they're able to draft and replace and find another good one. So mm-hmm. all of those things point to, in addition to the Trent Murphy decision, point to this is as good a chance as they're going to, you don't know that you're going to have this good of a chance again, I guess is the point. I shouldn't say this is as good a chance as they'll have, because I do think the roster is set up for, uh, you know, sustained success. And I think they've planned ahead. You know, Brandon Bean is always thinking of the following year in addition to the current year, but you do have to put your eggs 
in the best basket. And, and 2020 is a great opportunity for this team with how everything's set up, the talent on the roster, the depth that they've accumulated. They've really done a good job putting together a team that can contend. And soon, uh, you know, if they continue on this path, they might have to pay their quarterback. They might have to pay some of these guys that they drafted. Tremaine Edmonds will need a new deal. You know, all mm-hmm. these things that you think, yeah, they're, they're going to have, they won't be as deep a team. So they need those guys to to kind of carry them a little bit. And, you know, it makes it makes this a really, really compelling season for a team that has kind of been building towards this. And now it's about taking advantage of 2020, not assuming that there will be as good a chance in 2021 or 2022. You've got the Patriots adjusting to a new quarterback with – you know, a bunch of players on their defense having opted out. You've got, you know, your roster set up in a great position. This is the time to take advantage. And maybe they were looking at that a little bit saying, you know, because I know Brandon Bean says the Trent Murphy conversation was more media and fan driven, but I I think it would be a little crazy to Come think on. that he didn't at least consider the $7 million yeah. he could have saved. And they probably made it saying, hey, Let's go for it. It's, you know, this season, you know, this roster is good enough. And, you know, let's see if this, you know, this piece, because they do like to rotate there and they do like, you know, he's going to be a better option than, than AJ Epinesa and Daryl Johnson at this point. So, um, yeah, it's, it was an but interesting, let's, but decision. let's pick it up right there. Let's pick it up right there because like this is, what do you, what do you make of the Epinesa point? Because if, if he would have blown their socks off, I, I think Murphy's probably gone. Am I crazy here? Right. You want to get that guy on the field, I would think, right. if, if he's really good. And so, yeah, the offseason where you're, you're, you don't have, you know, all your practices or all your preseason games and you don't get a great look at Epinesa and he doesn't show particularly well, but, um, you know, looks like he'll be okay, won't be quite Trent Murphy. And then you're balancing, you know, all right, we're going to get 70% of Trent Murphy out of AJ Epinesa, but... Is that worth the seven million dollars and this and that? And mm-hmm. you know, you're one positive COVID test away from AJ Epinesa having to play a huge role if you don't have Trent right. Murphy. So uh not even just that, a, a sprained ankle uh, or whatever from Mario Addison, who's not super young. So same with Jerry Hughes. So yeah, I think if that if he had been more impressive, if Daryl Johnson had been more impressive, uh not that those guys were bad, but you're developing those players. They're young players. Are they ready to step into that role? Maybe not as ready as they'll be a year from now. But yeah, I don't I don't think it's something that was I mean, put it this way, if they didn't consider it at all, they wouldn't be doing their job. And uh mm-hmm. I know Brandon Bean is aware of the salary cap and everything else that comes along with it and the the games you have to play. So, I would think uh Trent Murphy would, you know, was at least uh on their mind. Had to be. Had to be. I mean, it, Bean looks for every little loophole possible with roster building and and ways to gain an edge. So it would be a the biggest shock of his entire tenure where he if, if he didn't consider it. So I I get what, what he's talking about and he wants to show confidence in, in his guys and everything like that. But I mean, come on, it's it's over seven million and you've got to you've got to major cap reduction next year on on the hopper here and it, i just it, it wouldn't be 
it wouldn't be smart business to to you just go nope not even considering it y- you have to but you know I, I I get why he said what he said all right let's get back to Jake Fromm because he was probably the most interesting decision uh, outside of the Trent Murphy thing they, they go hand in hand I know you touched on it a little bit but the, the one point I wanted to make on him was just with how Brandon Bean kind of operates um, as, as a GM. Now, he's he's very savvy in, in a lot of different ways. And and certainly, you know, he, he gets a ton of respect from the fan base on, on social media. A lot of people call him a wizard. You know, I, I think... I think a lot of the stuff that he does is is stuff that is done elsewhere, and, and maybe Bills fans just aren't as used to it because there wasn't a competent GM for years. I'm glad but, you said uh, that because um, it, it's it's good to see. It's good to see is no, a strong word here. Uh, yeah, for you know, yeah. Open, Everyone's doing the same thing with the IR stuff this year, right? That's a pretty standard deal, and people yeah, are like yeah. calling Brandon Bean a wizard. I think Brandon Bean is a good general manager, uh, as do I, for a lot of reasons outside of putting a couple guys on IR. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's stuff that is that is done and, you know, has been done for uh, quite a long time. He's a good ge- – and the Tredavious White extension, you know, was fair market value uh, for Tredavious. Mm-hmm. I mean, he set the market at the cornerback position. So getting it done and, you know, making guys want to be here and creating a team that people want to be a part of is definitely, um, you know – a, a strong asset that Brandon Bean has and something that he's uh, deserves a lot of credit for. I think he deserves a ton of credit for building this roster. And uh, yeah, I think he deserves absolutely. the extension that, that McDermott, you know, got, I think, you know, those two things uh, should probably go hand in hand, but yes, uh, you know, being a magician for putting a couple guys on IR is uh, a stretch yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think um, he deserves credit for, how he how he structures contracts as well. I, I'm I'm always a bit like, okay, that's that that makes a lot of sense there and, and it helps them into the future. So that part of it is something that we haven't seen in Buffalo for for a while. I know not not a ton of teams do it the way that the way that Brandon Bean does it, uh, and the Bills do it. So um, you know, it, I'll give him the the respect for that stuff. But like, you know, just just very, very um clear waiver stuff you know I, I think that that's stuff that's going around around the league but what what I want to get back to with with the Jake Fromm point if there is a blind spot for Brandon Bean it's his draft picks and you know he the, he's only cut two draft picks out of camp so far and that was Austin Prohl if we all remember him way way uh hit the late seventh round pick wide receiver was probably about five foot six maybe five foot seven they, they cut him out right and this year it was Dane Jackson their seventh round cornerback who they ended up bringing back on the practice squad um, past that the, through three drafts now of being every single draft pick has made it um, you know Vashon Joseph was um, it, he was put on IR ahead of uh, the final 53 man roster last year so that was a a different way of keeping him around, but they kept him around nonetheless. I think more than anything, a lot of what being verbalized today, he was a bit scared to do away with a draft pick of a quarterback in the fifth round, because if that guy goes on to be something, then he looks foolish. But 
and and to his in his defense, there were no preseason games. Some guys are different when the lights come on. But like you pointed out, I mean, Fromm was Fromm was just not good in in camp this year, and I'll I'll stand by that. You know, he said Bean said that Fromm was moving the ball in in eleven on eleven. I think he did that once, and that was in the the stadium um, when <laughs> one of the passes he threw it off his back foot and just winged it up to Duke Williams and it, it, that was between like three defenders and Williams made the play it wasn't from making a great throw uh so it, it's just I I understand why he he would want to hang on to Jake from uh, I guess but if we're going on performance and not just uh, there there are specific ways for guys to improve right and that's knowledge of the offense um timing these different things but I think the one area that you have to look at yourself and go, okay, is this really going to improve? And this is kind of a spot that the Bills work themselves into with Nathan Peterman too. I mean, Peterman just didn't have the arm to drive the ball to the sidelines. And we are seeing that reincarnated with Jake Fromm. I mean, he does not have the arm strength nor the accuracy to consistently put it where he needs to on the sidelines. And here's a newsflash. Brian Dable loves calling those plays all the time to to get uh, John Brown to the sidelines, to get Stefan Diggs to the sidelines on uh, with, with all these different routes that, that gets him there. Fromm just doesn't have that. And so when you, when you have a player that is very much restricted to what you can do, you're just thinking to yourself, okay, what, what do we have here in this asset? Is, is he really going to be worth anything? I mean, you know, to I'll I'll just I'll sit there and go like take the Raiders for an example. They traded away their third round pick, Lynn Bowden. They traded him for a fourth and also gave up a, a sixth um, to to do it. But they looked at him, and by all reports, did I say Oakland? I meant Las Vegas. By all reports, from Las Vegas Raiders reporters, including Vic Tafur, who covers the Raiders for the Athletic, it's like. Bowden was not good, didn't look fast at all, didn't look like the guy that they drafted. And the Raiders, you know, say what you will, had the conviction to dump out right away because they didn't feel like they they had a player. Before anybody else saw him, they're like, okay, let's get the best asset we can for this guy. And the Dolphins scooped him up. They've got some roster room, all, all of this stuff. I just I just wonder if that's maybe the, the one blind spot of, of Brandon Bean, who is a really good general manager otherwise to where he forces his draft picks onto the roster as opposed to, you know, seeing that Davis Webb was outplaying Jake Fromm and probably was deserving. Now, they did get Davis Webb to the practice squad, but, you know, let's let's talk about this. There's an there's an outbreak of COVID in, in the quarterback room. Who you start, Jake Fromm or Davis Webb? I think that's pretty simple for me. Yeah, if you're starting Jake Fromm over Webb, then I don't know what you're basing that on other than the fact yep. that you drafted him. And... You know, people roll their eyes at, you know, the Patriots being used as a reference point in terms of, you know, doing everything right and and whatever. I think the point people miss with the Patriots that probably, you know, separates Bill Belichick from a lot of people is it's not that he does everything right. That's not the point. Everybody always mm-hmm. gets wrapped up in that. It's that they say, oh, because the Patriots did it, it's a good move. It's like a running you know, joke. It's like, that's not the point. I think the thing Bill Belichick does maybe better than anybody else is when he messes up, 
he knows he messed he figures out that he messed up and he moves on mm-hmm. uh very few times do you see him look at this weekend they cut Mohamed Sanu. They traded a second-round pick for him last year. That is <laughs> you know. an awful use of a second-round pick. Nobody would dispute that. An absolute terrible move by the Patriots. But Bill Belichick does not care that you think it was a terrible move. He does not care what it looks like cutting Mohamed Sanu. He just wants to have the best players on his team. Um, when the Bills drafted Jake Fromm in the fifth round, they did not know that those text messages would come out two months later. Mm-hmm. Um, and had those come out a month before the draft, maybe, or if the draft were in July or whatever, he's probably not a fifth round pick. So that's where, yeah, I think you're right. You know, hanging on to him for that reason, look, he's a quarterback. It, it just strikes me that he was treated a little differently, right? Then, yeah, um, yeah, I agree. You know, Dane Jackson. I didn't think Dane Jackson had a great camp. Um, and, I was totally fine with them releasing Dane Jackson. I thought that was the right move. I think time on the practice squad will serve him well. Still think he's got a shot to be an okay player um, and make it, but these last two weeks, he wasn't that great. Neither was Jake Fromm. And they were picked a couple mm-hmm. rounds apart and, you know, whatever. But, yeah, I think um, that was, to me, the other part of it that I just don't buy and I, I don't like the sentiment was we all make mistakes and this kid, you know, couldn't have handled it any better on or off the field. I I would strongly disagree with the second half of that, which is what Brandon Bean Mm -hmm. said today that, you know, he doesn't, couldn't have asked him to to handle it any better on or off the field. You 100% could have. Um, (laughs) This is a guy that did not address this really in any way to you know the fans or the media until a couple weeks into camp or a week or so into camp and did it with three of us um myself jay skirsky from the buffalo news and marcel louis jacques from espn when certainly there was enough interest there where everybody else is going on these uh you know big zoom calls with everybody else if you want to let's just if you want to handle it as good as you can handle it or nobody could ask for better, address it with everybody and answer all the questions and do it right away. And after two months, have a better answer than the kid had because it wasn't a very good one. So how has this guy handled it in the room? Like, we don't really know that. We're not in the room uh, like we would Mm -hmm. be in other years. And we don't see 100% of how his teammates respond to him or treat him or things like that. But... Yeah, it felt like, all right, got to keep this guy because he's a draft pick, and if he's any good, we could get something for him or he'd be a good asset to have. But it didn't feel like he earned it. And and Brandon Bean didn't really come out and say that he earned it either. Right. Which is interesting. You have to earn everything unless you're a quarterback that we drafted. Then you get, you know, so a little bit of wishy-washy messaging. And certainly, you know, Probably a completely different conversation we're having if not for the text messages, right? I mean, but that's, again, like the money with Trent Murphy. That's a part of the conversation. That is a factor. It has to be. Uh, And it also makes you wonder, like, how hot of a commodity would this guy have been? How hot of a commodity was he before that? He was a fifth-round pick. Right. And like you said, he didn't perform very well. So How far would he have fallen had the Bills not taken him? Who knows? Right? Like, who knows? And so, yeah, I— 
I just don't see the the value that he brings to the roster personally at the moment. Uh, and I was a fan of the pick when they made it, but like uh, I'm trying to channel my uh, Bill Belichick. When I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and you know when I mm-hmm. notice it, I I, I will uh, admit it and change. And mm-hmm. same, you know, goes for. Steven Hauschka, my thought was, all right, they, yeah, they spent a, a pick on Tyler Bass. I think what this showed us, the, some of these roster decisions, is just how important that is, at least in the first five or six rounds. Um, you know, Dane Jackson got cut, but that's to be expected, a seventh-round pick once in a while. Those guys are no different than undrafted guys in a lot of ways. But it should have been the the hint that when they drafted Tyler Bass, they weren't going to cut him. Uh, they had made yep. They made their decision. When they drafted him, they brought him in just to make sure he wasn't a total slappy during the first few weeks of camp. But when they drafted him, they they had a plan. Uh, it wasn't just, oh, this guy's available. You know, you don't do that with a kicker. Um, so, you know, I thought, oh, they're going to let these guys compete and everything going on this season. You might want the veteran. Well, evidently not. And same goes with Jake Fromm. <laughs> I thought, you know, well, yeah, they drafted him, but Davis Webb looks better. Uh, and all they talk about is competition. But, um I think if it got to it, like you said, if there's an outbreak or if there's a couple of injuries, I still think they're playing Webb over from. As do I. They would call him up. They would find some way to do it, whether it's, you know, you put guys on the COVID list and get them up. It it was not wanting to lose from probably, like you said, out of fear, not enough information to make the decision. But in no way did, and Brandon Bean didn't really say this either, that, oh, he earned it. Uh, That's... (laughs) <laughs> That's not no. really what he did. Um, that stood out to me. So too. I think, yeah, he moved the ball a little bit, this and that, but he didn't once earn it. You know, Trent Murphy, <laughs> you can say there, you can sit there and say this guy earned it. He had a good camp and he's a good player and we believe in this guy. He earned it. Um, I just don't think you can make the same argument for Fromm, And I, I don't think that, um, I don't think you can brush aside the other stuff either and no you can't not when not when the player that you just signed to an extension started liking tweets instantly about saying nah screw this guy screw this guy uh from other players from around the league that that's what happened with Tredavious White as soon as as soon as the text messages came out and so you have to factor in how that affects the most important players on your locker room and if like the one thing they should be monitoring is how this guy interacts with his teammates during a practice in the locker room uh, out, uh, you know, during meetings, how does he interact with everybody? That should have been a part of the evaluation. Now we don't get to see that part, like you said, but if, if that part comes back, okay, then maybe this is, this is a bit of a better decision, but still, then it goes back to the on-field stuff. Like, well, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't great. Here's, we see some of the practice stuff, and put it this way: teammates don't respond to him the way they respond to Josh Allen. They don't respond to him yeah, the way true. they responded to Josh Allen in his first camp. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, g- guys have been generally evasive on the question. I'll say this: Jake Fromm does not impact this locker room to the extent of like I'm not sitting here saying man, they had to cut this guy or it's going to become a problem in the locker room. Yeah. I don't think that no, at all. That's right. That's right. I, I think he's so insignificant to a lot of guys that they wouldn't let him become a problem. You know what I mean? They wouldn't. Jerry Hughes, mm. when uh, when I wrote about Jake Fromm and what was going on, uh, when he addressed 
the text, you know, a couple weeks into camp. The gist from Jerry Hughes was that, look, we got a lot going on here. Like all this COVID stuff. We have a good team. Um, we're focusing on that. We're not worried about this guy. You know, like he's doing what he's, you know, he's trying to, you know, be better. He's addressed it. Um, they don't have time or energy to get wrapped up in that. And I don't think anybody's looking at it as like, oh, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean kept this guy. They're supporting what he said. Maybe there's some of that like under the surface here and there throughout the locker room, but not enough to certainly not enough for Tredavious White to not sign a massive extension. You know, these these guys right, have a body right. of work of how they treat people and how they treat their players that that's not an issue. But what is in question with Jake Fromm and what needs to be considered is that while it may not impact the locker room, when you're talking about this guy as an asset and when you're talking about him from a uh, player and a prospect standpoint and evaluating him, it's a huge piece of the puzzle because of the position that he plays. Because mm -hmm. if you can't get guys to play for you, if you can't get guys to rally around you because of some things that you've said or done in your past, that's going to impact you at quarterback more than it will at any other position on the football field. So it is a big part of the evaluation of him in a vacuum, but I don't think it's anything that impacts the team. But when you're talking about, oh, this is such a hard roster to make, so many hard cuts, Bean's got to pull off some wizardry to make everybody fit. It wouldn't have taken too much wizardry to cut a guy that wasn't very good and who said some racist things uh, not too long ago, by the way. He wasn't 16 or 14. You know, he this was, you know, a year ago, essentially. Uh, it wouldn't have taken too much to do that uh, and save yourself a spot um, and, you know, bring somebody else back. So uh, it it's I get the I can follow the train of logic. I just don't necessarily mm -hmm. agree with it. Yeah, well said. All right, uh, we uh, we have to get going because we uh, have to get on to some Zoom calls with some players. But uh, Matthew Fairburn, any fond words of farewell uh, for our listeners today? Nothing yet. We are at a game week. We are. Yes, we are. We are less than a week away from the Bills playing a football game. That is does not feel. Like we're quite there, but here we are, ready or not. I know. Yeah. Uh, pretty, pretty, uh, it, it'll be one of the most memorable things of my career, I think, being able to go into um, Bill Stadium for the first time without anybody there and watching a game without anybody there. It's going to be, it's going to be wild. Um, so, and, and we'll be sure to break everything down as we're going along. And of course, we will have a, uh, a another podcast this week. Uh, that'll be coming out on Thursday or Friday uh, of this week. That'll preview the Bills Jets game, even though we haven't seen the Jets play. All we can do is read what they've been doing. Uh, so we'll we'll have that. And of course, if you want to read anything about the Bills roster features that we have, go to theathletic.com right now. Uh, Theathletic.com/slash/the-buffalo-beat. And if you do so right now, you can get yourself. A nice little discount, and that is in the form of 40% off for an entire year. So that amounts to $2.99 a month when the normal fee is $4.99 a month. And so now uh, you would just have to do a one-time only $36 charge. You get the you get the you um, all the coverage you can handle for the season, the off-season, everything like that for $36. Bucks. And you get to read everything that uh, Matthew Fairburn and I write. Tim Graham, 
uh, John Vogel on the Sabres stuff. If you're a Sabres fan, anything NBA related, anything NHL related, Premier League, uh, you know, MLB, all of these different things. Um, we'll we'll have you covered. And we've got good draft coverage too with Dane Bruder. So you wanna you'll wanna jump in on all of that. All right. So that'll do it for us. Uh, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. For Matthew Fairburn, thanks so much, and we will talk to you later in the week. See you then.